Ever wanted to become a football agent? The John Viola Academy is an elite training and education program designed by world-class football agents to create world-class football agents. With online courses, personal mentoring and much more, the John Viola Academy provides you with every opportunity needed to achieve your dream career in the beautiful game as a football agent. Head to jvacademy.net forward slash football friends or click the link in our show notes to book a demo call with the team and start your journey today. Mine tonight, play for over. Depends. Well, your friend, the football will be there. Oh, friend, football friend. Oh, what a support goal. Stefan Moore, that is extraordinary from Ben Garuccio. You're listening to episode eight of Football Friends with Ben Garuccio and Stefan Moore. This week, Bruno's latest belter and MacArthur's Monday Night Madness take the A-League headlines. Here the lads discuss all the action from round six. Our big topic of the week is Australia's youth development system and what the guys see as lacking for players in their early teens. Before the inner game, story of the week returns as the boys touch on some of their earliest lessons and blunders. All that and more coming up on Football Friends. <laughs> and welcome back for another episode with Football Friends with Ben and Steph. I'm Steph. Uh, welcome back, Ben. Um, not just your podcast, it is mine as well, so I thought I'd do the introduction this week. Uh, disappointing result, but uh, how was how was your week besides the football? Uh, yeah, it was good. It was good, yeah. The game wasn't the best, obviously. I thought we actually played really well. Um, but yeah, obviously we've lost five in a row now, so... It's not been definitely not been the best start. Um, we desperately do need to get back to winning ways. Uh, but Wellington are a sort of the, the benchmark at the moment. You know, they're one of the teams that are that are right up there. And in the game, I felt like it was you know we we were doing really really well, and they were struggling a little bit in the second half to get out. And I thought we had them you know sort of where we wanted them. And then yeah, just unfortunate again with the with the goal that you know. In my eyes, I thought on the pitch that it was definitely going to be called offside. And um, like their players were actually even, like they didn't celebrate the goal. And um, like one of their players was actually like, come on ref, like hurry up kind of thing. It's it's obviously offside. Um, and then it got called a goal. So yeah, I, I was very surprised. Um, but yeah, you know, that's the way footy is sometimes. And yeah, unfortunately it just seems to be kind of the story that, that keeps on, on unfolding with us at the moment but yeah you know I think the performances are there um we just gotta we gotta keep positive and and the wins will come yeah I guess that's uh yeah a bit of a strange one it's, hard, it's so hard to tell with um with the camera angle you'd hope that it was you know spot on and it's correct and everything but I think there was a game in Greece it might have been on the weekend where the line was drawn and it was just terrible as well um so just, yeah, I think that's what makes it frustrating as a player on the field. Like if you think it's offside um, and then it's onside, obviously it's great for the team that scores, but if you don't, it's it's disappointing. Um, but anyway, we don't want to talk about it too much. I know you're upset about about losing and um, we need to be positive going into a new week for you. But I guess that leads us into being positive is that you don't have to go to Ballarat again, I'm pretty sure. Is that is that right? The last game in the rat? Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, our next home game is going to be at Amy against Brisbane. So looking forward to getting back to Amy, you know, that's um, in terms of Melbourne and, and stadiums you want to be playing at. That, that's definitely the one that sticks out. So 
um, been a lot of good memories made at, at Amy Park. So, yeah, for now, I think that's that could be it with Ballarat. I, I think our record there is not not too great. Um, but you know, that's no excuse. At the end of the day, you know, you you play where where the game is held at the end of the day and, and you prepare the same way. And at the end of the day, the, the other team has to fly and then also travel to Ballarat. So there's definitely no excuses coming from that, but it will be good to get back to Amy Park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, let's hope that, um, yeah, the the younger brother out of the Aloysius gets out on top on that next home game in, in Melbourne, which we'll touch on, I guess, in, in the next couple of weeks. Go into more details about that. Um, but yeah. Good to good to hear. There were some other really, I guess, good quality games as well on the the Friday night. You had Western Sydney against Brisbane Raw. Um, delayed start for that one, which was uh, annoying for me. I had planned my my dinner around what time the game was starting. Carla was like extremely annoyed at me, and then put the game on and see. I was delayed by lightning, and it might be a while. So I thought, you know what, we'll go down to Henley Beach and we'll get some yochi. So worked out good for. Uh, Good for Carla and, and good for me, I guess, to get some some Yoshi in. Um, and then the game itself was quality. Coming back, Brisbane Raw started good again. Um, you know, the pitch was wasn't great, but you know it was a lot better than the week before. And, and they look they look really good. Brisbane, Western Sydney um, showed a lot of character to come back and get you know two two. I think either team you know um, could have won it. You've got the the offside goal for for Brisbane Raw. I think. Um, Cahill uh, had a really good chance as well for Brisbane off a, I think it was another set piece potentially or a cross. So it's, uh, you know, it could have went either way, but both those teams are, I reckon, in my opinion, going to be be right up there for, you know, top four, top six anyway. So um, what, what were your thoughts on that game? I'm assuming you're watching that one, not doing too much the night before your game. Yeah, no, I saw that game and um, look, for me, I, I've just been super impressed by Brisbane at home. For me, when they've played at Suncorp this year, they just look incredible. Like they, they look like they've got a different energy. To be honest, when when they're playing there, I think, you know, we spoke to Zach last week, and and he's said how receptive the club has been and the players, especially about you know moving back and getting those kind of minimum standards that they deserve, and it's showing because honestly, their energy in the games that they've played at Suncorp so far, like I, I noticed it massively against Sydney FC when they played Sydney FC, but even the way they started that game. I honestly couldn't see Western Sydney actually getting back into that game. And then you obviously had, you know, Marcelo go down and then Clisby went down after him and he was obviously able to stay on. But I thought, oh, I can't see them getting back into it. But then that's credit to Western Sydney again because, you know, they were they were under it for a bit in that game and they managed to to find a way to to get themselves back into it. And it was, you know, a good goal by by Milo um, just after half time. And then, you know, they, they're back in the game. It's 2-1 and... Brisbane probably could have still gone ahead again and and put it out of sight, but they didn't take those opportunities. Um, Nikolai had like a really, really good one where he cut in and, and sent Lawrence Thomas to the ground and then just, yeah, sort of got unlucky, got blocked off the line. And yeah, that's the way the cookie crumbles. You don't take those chances and then you end up, you know, dropping two points, I would say, for Brisbane. But if you're a Western Sydney player or, or fan, then you're buzzing coming out of that game because that's a tough trip. Yeah, no, exactly. And for me, you know, they obviously got a rocket at high. Football's so funny, I think. Like, and and we'll we'll speak about Ange with with City as well. But it's so strange where, like, you know, in the first half, one team looks so good and the players look unbelievable, and the other team looked shit. To be honest, like they look like they just can't get into the game. 
you go in at half time and sometimes it's you know like sometimes it is a structural thing it's a small tactical tweak from the coach which you know they didn't prepare for because you know Brisbane set up differently against Western Sydney for example um, than what they're expecting but you know, you come out in the second half and it's like two different teams again. Like Western Sydney, all of a sudden they score within what was it, 45 seconds and they look like they've got the energy and the buzz. So I'm sure Rudin gave him a rocket as well. Um, but it's just, yeah, football Football is such a funny game with that momentum and, you know, you start well. And that's why they always say, you know, you want to go out there, your first pass, your first tackle, whatever you do first, you want it to be good and positive because it sets the tone, not just for you individually, but I feel like for the rest of your teammates as well. So it's... um. It's something that, yeah, like you touch on, Brisbane obviously had a massive, massive emphasis on that in, in all the games in, in, in Suncorp anyway. And then Western Sydney um, as well. They've done that, I think, twice now. They came back from Newcastle in Newcastle away as well. So they've showed a lot of character. And um, I really like Milanovic. Um, I'm not going to call him Milo because I don't know him. But it's uh, he's a good player. I can't I, I can't believe he, he, you know, he played a lot at Western United. I'm surprised they let him go because he, you know, looks like a top player, like, can play as like a number eight, number 10, I reckon, as he gets a bit older. Um, but at the moment, playing as like a left midfielder, he's, he's strong, he's he's quick, he can dribble players, but he's got like an eye for gold as well. So, um, yeah, he's someone I reckon to watch, you know, for, for the future. I don't know how young he is, but he's, yeah, he's got a lot of a lot of potential and, and to be playing well in Western Sydney, which is a big club, is, is very, you know, I guess very good for him um, to hopefully go on and um, eventually get a move overseas, which I'm sure is what he's aiming for. Yeah, no, he's, he's always had that potential. I think even when he first came to Western United, I wasn't there, but um, everyone did speak really, really highly of him and the raw talent that he had. And I suppose just over the last couple of seasons, he started to sort of fine-tune that and actually you know, add to his craft and, and learn what it's like to actually start games. And he was knocking on the door here at Western United. Um, he decided to make the move. You know, he, he is a, a Western Sydney boy um, when you're sort of, you know, local kind of club comes calling, it is hard to probably say no. And obviously he'd worked with Rudin in the past. So it made sense for him. He ended up going, look, I'm glad it's worked out for him because he's a good kid. Um, he's got, you know, incredible talent. He's a big boy. He's only going to get stronger and he's going to add that sort of physical sense as well because he's a bit of a twig and he needs to get in the gym a little bit more. But no, nah, yeah. he's doing really well. And he, nah, he's, he's he a big, big. boy. He, he, he's a unit. Yeah. Oh, he's a unit, but yeah, he's got a bit twig arms, but nah, <laughs> he's um, he's he's a footballer at the end of the day. He's not a bodybuilder, but yeah, he he is very very strong. Um, he's tall, he can dribble the ball. Um, yeah, he's like that that you know big kind of midfielder, like a kind of like a Dembele or you know I don't want to say Zidane because that's probably going a bit far, but you know Jesus that Christ. kind of player that that is that is the big kind yeah. of taller midfielder but can also yeah like a Rogic you know that that kind of player so like a um, Kai he's got a sweet left, left. Mm, nothing like a Kai Havertz <laughs> uh, yeah no he looks good he looks good and I think yeah playing different positions like we were the same and it's probably a uh, good time when we spoke about him because you know when we first started playing which we'll, we'll touch on in our uh our topic of the week which is which is youth development you know when you first come into the league you don't choose what position you play. You know, obviously, you know, in the youth team, you're playing your preferred position. But, you know, when you're playing in, in the A-League games for the first team, you know, you, you might just play a different position because that's where they need you. And as a midfielder, it's very hard to break in. You played it as a winger and that's where you started then got moved to a fullback because you couldn't couldn't quite hack it as, as a winger. Um, 
And I, I was playing on the wing as, you know, when I first started coming through, like I played a little bit in the midfield, but majority of the time I was playing as a winger and like, I don't have any pace. So it was never going to work out or more of an inverted winger, but it's, you know, same for him. You start somewhere and it's actually good because you learn different, um, learn different skills. And I think also pressing in different ways. You know, if you're always used to being a midfielder, you don't really think about the other positions. So the more positions you can play, I think it does, does help you, um, but then, yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. And lightning stroke, struck twice the next day, um, Sydney FC against Perth Glory. So the, the weather's coming down the East Coast from from Brisbane all the way down to Sydney. And that game was delayed even longer. Um, I I actually didn't watch too much of it live because of like the delays. And it was a bit of a disaster. Like they, they obviously weren't sure when it was going going to happen and um, to play a game for a certain amount of time, then get suspended. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Like to actually like mentally, but also physically because your body cools down and then you got to get back up for it. So it was a bit of a, bit of a strange one and credit to Sydney FC for getting, getting the win, but it's a, it's a, it's a strange, strange game to be a part of. Don't you think? Yeah, no, that's, that's weird. I was actually thinking about it today when I was at training, I was like, fucking hell, what would they have been doing at half time? Like, would they have had to do it? They probably did a whole nother, like, activation and warm-up in kind of in the rooms. And then when they went out there, they probably would have done a little bit before before the second half started. Yeah. Because, yeah, that that I've never played in a game like that, so I wouldn't know. But, yeah, it's a bit, uh, bit strange. Because how do you stay switched on? Because you're prepared for a game and you're mentally in the game. And I hate half-time as it is. I just want to come in, get a drink, coach talks, go straight back out because I hate it. And I never know what to do, but... If you're in there for that long, like, what are you doing? Like, are you going on your phone? Like, because I, I feel like I would yeah. still be in game mode. I'm like, I can't fucking check my phone. There's probably people messaging me. <laughs> like, I'm not going to start replying to people. Yeah, just in the rooms half time, you know, lightning strike, can't, can't play. Yeah. No, it's, I, I, no, don't, it's I weird. can't even remember now what it was. It was, it was a, it was a good hour or maybe close to two hours, to be honest. Like it was, it, it's not, you know, even something that you can prepare for because they probably couldn't have given you the time. They would have said, listen. We're going to give it 30 minutes because of what the radar is saying. And then in 30 more minutes time, they would have said, oh, we'll give it probably a bit more time. So like fair play to the fans as well for sticking around. Like that's a, that's a late night when you don't have much action. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's something like, yeah, like you said, as a player, like to, to stay switched on, what do you do? Do you, you know, do you then start eating something as well to kind of get the energy back and you don't want to eat too much, but you know, you've probably then eaten three hours before the game. So if, you know, it could be five hours since you've eaten. Like it's, it's a strange one. Maybe we'll need to um, get someone from Sydney FC or Perth Glory on next week and we can actually find out what they did and, and let all the fans know. Um, but yeah, good good result for, for Sydney FC. They're uh, yeah, they kind of kind of back, I guess you would say, since Uppi's come in. That's two wins and a draw. Uh, one of they lost the the derby, sorry, but a good a decent yeah. enough performance. So two wins and a loss. But they've they've scored a lot of goals, which is what they were struggling with. Um, what's that? Eight goals in three games now. So we'll see uh, if they can keep up that form um, moving forward. Uh, and then then we go on to Sunday's games where we had first up Central Coast against Victory. And I think there's only one thing you really want to talk about in that game. And that's uh, Bruno Fornaroli's goal. I texted you at the time saying like, did you see that? And you replied straight away knowing exactly obviously what, what I'm talking about because that's... Yeah, that's what you do in training and when you're taking the piss. Like, you just nutmeg someone so you think, I'll just shoot from here almost. Uh, unbelievable. Oh, yeah, that's goal of the season. I don't care. I'm calling it now. There's not going to be a better goal than that. 
there's not going to be a better goal than that unless someone I don't know if some left back scores a scorpion kick or something I'm not sure <laughs> but <laughs> nah, that, nah that left back Honestly, doesn't score nah. goals every six years <laughs> I messaged him after the game going fucking El Hermano like that's unbelievable and he said yeah like you know he was buzzing with it or whatever and I said I love the nutmeg and he goes man that was my favourite part because he loves that. He loves that number. He loves feeling the player behind him, using his body. And then he's just done the cheeky, like with the, with the, with his studs as well through the, through the legs. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, everything else is honestly, that goal had everything, had everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, and he's even like slipped up, kind of slipped over as his shot, which it was actually a weird yeah. technique. Like he, he didn't actually like drive it with his laces. It was almost like kind of like that half, driven half curl but it was just perfect like maybe if it was a taller keeper to be honest they saved that potentially not Vukovic is obviously not you know six foot five so he doesn't have that wingspan but like you can't be expecting anyone to yeah. save that really and if you're the player yeah, and, and the keeper saves in. that you're fucking hooking like if you do that yeah. and the keeper gets a fingertip on it and tips it over like you're thinking well you've just ruined you've just ruined this moment so he's uh yeah, he's on, on fire. Um, potential, uh, you know, bolter for the Asian Cup. I know he's older and everybody wants to talk about getting young players through. But if he keeps scoring over the next four or five games, uh, Barella's gone down and, and probably missing the Asian Cup. He's a different type of striker. And if you're playing some of the lower Asian teams when they sit in, for me, he's he's someone I loved playing with when we were at Melbourne City because I'm not going to dribble players. So I want to link up with people. And he was the perfect striker for that because all he wanted to do is like you said, pin his center back and link up. And he was the same. He, he can yeah. dribble. He can actually dribble really well, but he's got no pace. So he wants to feel him. He wants to touch him. And he's so smart with his body. And that's something we don't get taught. You know, I never really got taught that when I was a youngster about like using your body well like that. And you see all the South Americans, they're so smart. They're so like, it's all right. He goes down a bit easy sometimes as well. And he maybe over the years has gotten less and less free kicks because the referees are under it. But they're just so smart with knowing uh, when they get the contact, when to go down, or when they get the contact, when to roll the player. And it's a skill because nobody else, like, if we could do it, we would be doing the exact same thing. Yeah. No, he's so smart. I just remember, yeah, that first year, no, no one was ready for it. And, the way he just used to back in, back in. And I remember he always used to back in until he sort of got into the 18-yard box because he knew once he was in the 18-yard box, he was close enough to shoot because, he, to be fair, over the last couple of years, he's actually scored a few goals from outside the box, but he didn't score many goals from from kind of outside the box. And he knew once he was in the 18-yard box, the defenders couldn't touch him anymore because it was going to be a penalty. Yeah. So he's very smart in that sense. He's just a smart footballer at the end of the day. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's in that squad. If, if he keeps going like this, who who's who's better right now in Australia? Yeah, in the, in the A League yeah. right now, he he's been the standout striker so far. You have to say it. So yeah, it, it'll be an interesting one. And to be fair, no one's probably going to talk about it because of Bruno Fonaroli's goal. But I thought Valupele's goal was fucking class as well. Yeah, he's uh, he sat. Who was it? Torres, I think, on his ass and. Like as as a as a you know winger or whatever you're coming back you're trying to do the right thing and you get you get chopped from from Belupe yeah. and you you don't just trip but like he full on fell on his ass and then he puts it in as well and you just think Jesus Christ like it's um yeah. and that's something that I think they spoke about they needed more goals from 
from their other attacking players. It can't be just Bruno. I think everyone else was on only one goal or some of their other attacking players hadn't even scored yet. So good for him. And we spoke about him. I think he's their most dangerous winger. He's uh, very direct. And when you add those goals and assists to your game, you go to that next level. So good, good signs for Victor. And even for Central Coast, you know, they came a one nil up, but came back. Showed a bit of fight, which was uh, which was positive. So hopefully they keep building with their new coach and with the AFC Cup, it's tough. But you know the the league's still so even. Everybody's still in contention. And then in the next game, City against the Jets. Jets finally got to play back at uh, Hunter Stadium, and the pitch again didn't look too great. A few players slipping all over the place, but City just looked too good. And I guess when you're comparing the squads as well, you know, it's anyone can beat anyone, but you know, City do still have a lot of that quality and, and the young boy on debut, um, you know, I thought took took that chance. It was a great ball in, but you know, he's, you know, he, he's still got to put it away. And then McLaren as well to, uh, you know, hadn't probably kind of remember if he'd gone one or two games without a goal, but that's a drought for him. So he's decided to, uh, to let everybody know he's still in contention for the golden boot, which I'm I'm sure him and Bruno will be fighting that out. So City, uh, yeah, City are kind of still still hanging in there. Um, I think they'll grow as the year goes on. They've got a few injuries, but Leckie's back and he's probably at, at his best. I think he's probably the best player in the competition. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that one. Yeah, well, our boy Joe Lolly, we tipped him for the Johnny Warren early yeah. <laughs> before the season started. He, he's kind of back, I'm thinking... I've got him in my A-League's fantasy and he's saving me at the moment. So, um, yeah, yeah, he's doing well. But yeah, Lecky, Lecky, when he's when he's fully fit, look, you saw what he did at the World Cup. Um, that's a player that's come back from playing overseas, coming back to Australia and, and he's producing like that on the on the world stage. So, yeah, he's a massive player for them. And obviously losing Naboo, um, that's kind of your other winger. They lost Tilio as well from, from last season. So, yeah. yeah different wingers so when you have obviously Leckie out as well then you're you're going without so um I think they've done well you know in the with the players out that they've you know the young boy he's come in he he played well and he scored so you're happy with that but yeah it's a good win for City at the end of the day they haven't started the way they wanted to but that's a good character building win especially away from home because no games easy in the A-League doesn't matter you know you can talk about squads you can talk about teams and how they're going there's not there's not one easy game in this league. Yeah, no, exactly. And and then the strange one, the Monday night game, because the the Bulls had to play their their home fixture away from home in in Thailand because of the the team from Myanmar not getting visas. I think it was so a bit of a strange one. Um, but it was probably the game of the round, like in terms of obviously four three. So excitement. Um, hopefully a lot of people tuned in for it because it was it was a good one to watch and. Goes to show again, Adelaide they uh, they can score a lot of goals, but they they the way they play they're going to concede chances, and that's that's obviously something that you know they're going to keep working on because you know there's no point scoring three if you're conceding four at the end of the day. Like you, you know, I'm sure Cole and the coaching staff like yes they want to play open football, but they don't want to be conceding as many chances as as they are. And until that third goal went in, Adelaide actually had chances to kind of bury them, and you know that's again mm. that moment in football if you don't score you know that fourth to kind of put them away or you don't kind of control the game enough you know like teams teams go on the break I think it was from a corner um on the break you know the Silvers sent um Jermaine was it wide he's taken a bad touch he's got a bit lucky fallen to hold when he's put it away and then they score from a set piece again straight after that a very well worked set piece and, and the Villas 
put it away nicely. But it's just football changes so quick. You're thinking, all right, this is uh, this is three points away. Monday night, Adelaide, I think, would have been sitting maybe second then and it would have been you know, a great position for them to be in. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the space of five minutes, you, you, you're down by a goal. So it's it's uh, it's exciting. It's good for the league and, and the Bulls. They, they uh, you know, them and the Knicks are probably the two surprise packets where nobody was really tipping them at the start of the year. But makes it interesting. Makes the... Uh, yeah, I guess everybody be be excited to to know every game. You know, anyone can beat anyone. So let's let's see what happens this week. I'm back in back in Adelaide still, so I'll be heading down on on Sunday to watch uh, watch the Reds against Brisbane Raw. So baby, I think will be due will be born maybe tonight or tomorrow. But I've said to Carla, that's that game I need to go to, and she's like she's like I'll come as well. I said I don't think you'll be coming with a baby that's four days old. <laughs> So your first night off already. Your first of many nights off as a dad, huh? Well, it's a two thirty kickoff, so it's probably good. It's good for her, you know. She can, she can, you know. Hopefully, settle the baby well enough, and I'll just be at the game, maybe in the chairman's lounge, enjoying myself, and then come home. And I'll come home and and I'll do what I need to do. I don't think I can do much at the start <laughs> anyway. So I'll uh, I'll be changing nappies and and cleaning up and whatever else it is so no it's all uh all good but excited actually really excited to get back down to uh to coopers as a fan i, I drive past it most days when i'm going into the city and it's it's the best stadium they're like especially with the new upgrades it's it's so good they had a concert there last week so i hope that didn't didn't ruin the grass but it's yeah it's such a such a good stadium and um to watch football it's you know something i think every club moving forward we've spoken about it before but you know clubs like yourself with western united even City, I saw the the images of Melbourne City's training ground for their women's where they're going to play. It's five thousand seater. I know it's probably not possible, but if they spent that bit extra money and get that to you know seven and a half or ten thousand and kind of enclose it and do what you need to do to make it look good, um, that this is the way forward for A League teams because if you do that, you control who plays on your pitch. You're making all the revenue. So in the long run, you know, you're going to be financially in a much better position because not everybody's lucky enough to have a Cooper Stadium where I don't even know how many concerts. There's only probably two or three they do a year there maximum. No, there's concert. not many. So, you know, it's yeah. actually, it's it's owned by the government, you know, the Adelaide Entertainment Group, but Adelaide United's the only tenant. Like nobody else, nobody plays there. No, none of the state teams play there or, you know, they used to do when we were younger, the Federation Games, the Cup Finals there, but now that's all played at the, you know, the State Centre of Excellence. So... It's uh it's perfect for Adelaide because they don't actually have to build their own stadium and they've you know they've got this you know carpet of a surface fit for purpose football stadium so all right that's enough that's enough of the uh, the wrap up for the week and now we go into our topic which we have uh, youth development I think something that was spoken about in our initial discussions on Twitter um, from people was they want to hear about second division we've spoken about that they want to hear about expansion and they want to hear about youth development we're both yeah, two two young boys coming from Adelaide, um, growing up in the western suburbs. So anyone from Adelaide knows how small Adelaide is. But we both, you know, grew up. I was in in West Beach. You were in I was at Fulham Gardens. So we had different pathways, but we ended up actually at the exact same point at about fifteen, sixteen. So you can talk to us, Ben, about your uh, you know your your first couple of years when you were four or five. You know, you were you know going playing up an age group um, for for a different club than what was in your local area. Yeah, I was driving, uh, I had no idea at the time where I was going, but 
my parents took me out to Parry Hills, which is about, I don't know, 40 minutes, maybe 30, 40 minutes away, which is, that's like an eternity in Adelaide. Um, and that was the only club that, that had a under sixes. I think it was at that time. I was four years old. I just wanted to play. So my parents brought me there. I think I had a pair of boots. I didn't have any shinnies. I had to borrow shinnies from the club rooms. They were like, listen, the season's already started. Like you missed the trials. And they were like, can you just give them a go? I was like, listen, we'll give them a game. I think we won six nil and I scored five goals. They said, we'll take him. So that was, uh, we'll, we'll sign him up. Yeah. 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 They, they were like, yeah, yeah, he can come just bring him to training every, every Tuesday night or whatever it was. So that was my first ever experience, like playing a game of, of football, like my, my first ever experience It sticks with me. So, so fondly because yeah, that was, that was my first ever experience and they had to drive me all the way out there. And I remember, you know, we'd be in the car once or twice a week, whatever it was back then. And, um, you used to have to go out to training, but as it was back then, and I think, you know, football has come a long way in terms of junior grassroots football. Um, I was changing clubs every like one or two years because the next year at that club, they weren't doing an under sevens. So I had to move to another club to, to play for an under sevens. And then the next club wasn't doing an under eights that year. Cause they didn't have enough players or coaches or whatever. So what was um, it that you were getting kicked lot- out of the clubs? Yeah, maybe it was either that. Yeah, maybe they did have an under sevens, but they just didn't want me to play in it. But they said, this guy's too angry. Yeah, I was. I was an angry kid. I didn't like losing. I still don't like losing now, but I'm a little bit better now than than before. But I've always been the competitive type, probably too competitive and a bit of a sore loser at times. But that's just the passion, I suppose, that, that you have naturally. And it's probably what's helped me in my career. But yeah, I was chopping and changing, going all over the place. And you know how it is. When you're a kid, you're just playing because you love the sport. Um, so I went around, played for quite a few different clubs in, in Adelaide and then ended up at Adelaide City with you. Um, and it was, you know, me, you, uh, Brucey Kamau was in that team as well. So we had a decent team. We had a lot of other players that, that didn't go on to play professionally, but were still very, very good players uh, and probably could have made it, played in state teams and, and yeah. NTCs with them. Um, and then that's when it kind of starts to get a little bit serious, you know, around that 13, 14, you know, you go from just playing for fun, playing with your mates to all of a sudden there's talent identification and you're, yeah. and you're making state teams and, you know, potential NTCs that, and things on, like that. On the, on the like younger years, because now I speak to some parents, I was actually speaking to someone the other night. Um, how, how often were you training? Like, do you remember like when it was like the younger age groups and then you got a little bit older, it was still two nights a week, right? Until you got into the state team. Yeah, two nights a week, two nights a week. And look, it has come a long way in terms of, you know, there there are a lot more clubs and it's more built up now because, you know, that's just natural. You know, a club is around for a longer amount of time. They've got, you know, maybe better infrastructure. There's been, you know, more investment into the club. So there's, you know, they can offer more things. So that's natural, but in in my personal opinion and this is probably jumping the gun and going a little bit down the track with this chat but that's probably one of the biggest problems that we have with football in this country is that from those key ages from five years old to 12 13 years old we're just not not training enough we're just not touching the ball enough so unless you're going in your backyard or going to the park every single day which when you're five years old you don't have you can't do that. When you get to 12, 13, yes, maybe, but you've still lost six or seven years from the ages of five until that age where in Brazil and countries like that, 
I speak to to Danny Pena on my team and I, I love talking about this stuff because why can they develop these world-class players and so many of them that even the ones that are playing in third division over there are probably technically 10 times better than me and you. And that's because from that young yeah, age, they're, yourself, they're getting... Yeah. Definitely, definitely you. <laughs> but honestly, it's a, it's, a, it's a serious chat because like we don't... There's not enough good quality training at that age. So instead of you training, you know, Monday... Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then playing a game on the weekend. We're training maybe just, you know, Monday and Wednesday. So what's happening all the other days? Because when you're that age, you're like a sponge. So, you know, obviously we're still creating good players. And don't get me wrong, there is technically good players. There's some players that are naturally a lot technically gifted than other players. Some players work for it a lot more. But I think that's somewhere where we need to get so much better in this country because those, for me, are the key ages. By the time you get to 15, 16, it's too late. You go over to uh, Europe, they're miles ahead of us. Yeah. You said you said you weren't gonna jump the gun, but you've completely jumped the gun. So I'll <laughs> I'll go I'll go into mine now. Um but interesting, you know, you, you started playing at five six, you or a bit younger, whatever it was, to play for Para Hills and, and that was probably, you know, your dad or mum saw a bit of talent and you had older siblings, so probably playing around with them and your parents were probably thinking, Well, you know, Matt and Joe, they weren't they were nowhere near this level when he, they were that young. So maybe Ben's actually got a bit of talent. So let's let's put in the investment here. We'll clock up the keys on the car. We'll drive out to Parra Hills, and it will uh, it will return in the future, which which it has. Um, but any parent would do that for their child, of course. But for me, I I was five years old the first time I'd ever. I can't remember before that, to be honest. Maybe I was kicking the ball in the backyard, of course. But you know, I played school football, school soccer, and we trained. It was your cousin, actually, Fabian's mum that I can remember. She was one of the coaches um, at one point. And we used to train, I reckon it was like maybe a 45 minutes once a week for 15 weeks in that tournament at Northwest. We'd play a game for 30 minutes, I think it was. And Tony Fideli would take the clinics before. So you get a little like 20-minute session in before your game um, with 100 other kids. And, and that was it until I was 10 years old. So... Like I look back at it now and I played AFL and I loved AFL. So I was playing club AFL, but club AFL, you only trained once a week as well. And then in the other, you know, I played cricket, tennis, all these other things. Um, That's God, what are you going to say? That was young. Well, so what, you were playing AFL when you were eight years old? <laughs> I was playing for the Tigers. For the Tigers? <laughs> no, I was Fuck playing for the hell. You should have stuck to that. that. <laughs> I was playing for the Henley Sharks. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I was actually pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I reckon I could have made it in AFL. The the size, although I ran into an AFL player today from Essendon. Um, I think it was Will uh, Will Snelling, I think it was. And he's my height. So I thought, you know what? If he could make it, I could have. I definitely could have made it. <laughs> it's um, not too late. It's not too late to do a code switch like uh, Israel Folau and Carmichael Hunt. A million bucks a year. I'll do it. No worries. But I think looking back, playing other sports helped me massively. But at the same time, those years, like you said, that was five to 10 before I changed and played club football. I was training once a week for 15 weeks. Yeah, I played in the backyard, like you said. But, you know, that structure. And I, I was probably fortunate that I watched a, a little bit of football, only Wednesday Wednesday mornings. We didn't have Foxtel. So it was just Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Champions League every second week. Um, but I think I actually really learned a lot from watching those players. Like I was someone that without even realizing it was taking it in. And that's probably where I learned my technique because... My dad didn't play football. He played AFL when he came over here from Germany as well. So 
Um, I didn't really have anyone to teach me, but for whatever reason, I was not too bad. I was always really good in school. And then I made the change because my dad forced me to. And then we were training twice a week with Adelaide City. And I didn't make the state team. Like you were in the state team. Um, Brucey Kamau was in the state team. We had like four others at Adelaide City at the time in the state team. And I wasn't, I wasn't good enough apparently to make the state team. And whether that's right or wrong, that's a completely different story. Everybody, you know, even in professional football, some players from one coach, you know, they think they're God. And then the next coach thinks they're not good enough to start or be in the squad. So it's not the state team coach's fault, but I think it is the process of it and understanding like who are the best players and probably giving them more opportunities, which they do do now with the SAP programs with the state. The identification is, is a bit better. But think about that from age five through to about 14 was when it got serious when we both were in Sassy then. You know, you trained an extra night a week with the state team. So that was better because you're in a good environment. But, you know, you look at the kids that are in, like you said, Brazil. They probably, if they're not in academies, they're training in the streets, like without realizing. And that's their, that's their culture. But in Europe, you know, those kids are training probably four to five times a week minimum, but not just training. They're getting great coaches, ex-players that are good coaches at the best facilities, and they're surrounded by the best players. So imagine how much better you could have become because you're getting pushed constantly. Like I look at it and I think, you know what? Maybe I would have been playing for Barcelona, but it didn't happen. <laughs> and now I'm just no, in, honestly, in like <laughs> it is, it is, and I, and you hear stories of young, those younger um, kids that go over with their maybe their families when they are actually like really super young, like you know eight, nine, ten years old, and they go over and they they go into the programs, and you just think like you know you look at your players. Like your your Robertson now that's that's at um, Portsmouth. Um, Ocon's boys, the, yeah, Ocon's boys, boys and Skoko. Oh, it'd be great actually. Maybe we should try and, and um, get Paolo on in a future one because yeah, he, it'd be interesting. No, why did he take his boys over there? I think they're all because he like, knows really good. He knows he he went he went through it. He went through it overseas, um, and a lot of those those guys from you know the the generation before us, the ones that are all coaching now, yeah. Yeah, Aloisi's and those kind of players in that age group, they all went over at such a young age. Now, I I just think that those years, any time from five to, you know, 11, 12, that they are opportunities that are missed and you can never get that time back. You'll never, ever get that time back of, of just learning your craft. And at the end of the day, if you kick a million balls by the by that age compared to kicking 200,000, you're going to be a lot better at your craft if you've kicked that many that many balls. And it's just, you know, my dad used to tell me, go outside, just kick against the wall, kick against the wall, left and right foot, left and right foot. I didn't listen to him because I never used my right foot. And now look at me, I'm fucking terrible. <laughs> I just get on the bus with my right foot. So yeah. th th that that is like, you know, it's funny and, and it is, you can laugh about it, but it is true. Like, and you know, I, I was someone that I always loved football. I don't know what it was. I was the same as you. None of my family played football. I used to wake up every Sunday morning and watch SBS. It was um, Les Murray on there. I used to watch the Serie A on all the highlights. I remember, I remember it so clearly that I used to watch the the football show. I used to watch Adelaide City the the VHS tapes, Adelaide City versus Melbourne Knights in <laughs> NSL finals. I used to watch them back. They probably had two VHS tapes there. I used to watch them like every weekend. I would watch the game. I just loved it. So yeah, yeah, but back onto topic that they are years missed and i think that's as football grows in this country is a massive 
you know, probably thing that we need to focus on and really hone in on so that we're actually developing the next crop of superstars instead of just hoping that, you know, a wonder kid comes along every, you know, once in a, once in a while. Exactly. And, and I guess now you've got, you've got your MPL teams, which are, they're a bit more regulated and they do train, you know, they've got these SAP programs, but then you've got the other thing where it costs a lot of money. And because it costs more money, it's because the coaches that they're all getting a sea license coaches, whether that means they're good or not, it's still someone's dad that's went and just done the license. It's better than, you know, someone that has no idea, of course. And then you're getting technical directors, you've got to pay them. So that's why these things are all increasing because if you want, you know, you want that, you go to Europe. These clubs can can lose millions of dollars with their academy because they're making other money in other ways. Where in Australia we don't actually have that. So then the you know the cost falls on the parents, which is a really hard thing as well. And if you're not going to get the government support, which is something in our sport that we seem to not get with whether it's junior participation, whether it's national team funding, whether it's you know infrastructure, we seem to just get nothing from the governments in comparison to other sports. So you know there needs to be ways. And I think the A League clubs going forward. They've all got the academies, or most of them have got the academies starting from a younger age group now, which is great. But, you know, they need to go all the way down because it's it's a cost, of course, but then you're controlling. You know, if you're playing for Western United at seven, eight years old, you're then controlling what the player's learning technically, what, what they're getting taught, you know, surrounding them with the best players. And they see that clear pathway to the top, which which is where it needs to get to. And then with the second division, the same thing. That's the beauty of those teams coming into a second division. They've actually already got the juniors. So... I think it's only going to get better. And you look at the young players now coming through. Are they better than what we were? I don't think they're actually better than what we were. I think there's more of them at a good level compared to when we were younger. There was probably only, you know, six or seven in the league that were good enough to play. And the rest were way, way off it. When now you're looking at like, you know, two or three from, from each team are probably good enough to play. So that's that's the benefits of the academies. But, you know, we still need to build on that and... The number one thing I always say to parents, heaps of parents, well, I'm sure it's the same for you, will always ask me, you know, what what can my child do? Do we need to go overseas? And and that's it's still a lottery if you go over there, whether you get a good team or not, and if your kid can handle it. It's a massive move. But for me, the biggest thing is what they do when they're actually away from training. Because even if you do train five nights a week, when you're a kid, you've got endless amounts of energy. Like your legs get sore. You sit down for five minutes, then you're like, I'm good. I'm good to go again. And what they, what, what they do away from it and I know parents will hate it but the more touches on the ball like you said on it earlier the better if you're sitting down playing playstation you can have a ball at your feet and moving it between your feet or if you're in the in the house i'm sure you were the same getting yelled at from your parents like dribbling the ball around the house i know it's not like game tempo but that trains your brain you know that that cognitive learning from a young age you're getting more touches on the ball and i think that's probably the most important thing what you do away from your team environment is just as important. And if you don't have that in the culture, like in Brazil or in Europe or all the other South American, South American countries, you know, the, the kid needs to just want to do that. And on Japan, because I've been there now for a couple of years, they've, they've trained, you know, f- for probably the last 10 years or maybe longer in high school, they're training six days a week. They're, you know, for two hours or something, you know, from young ages. So they've got a, a different system there where it's a lot cheaper to do. But this is just a volume game, I think, you know. They've got so many players that probably burn out or that aren't good enough that get nowhere near it. But their average level is so much higher because they all train so much. I think they play like 50 weeks of the year. They give them maybe two weeks off. And on a Saturday, they do a carnival the whole day. Where in Australia, parents want, you know, they want to go to the uh, the pub or 
they want to go to the park or they want to go to the beach. They want to do other events. Where in Japan, like all they do is just sit there on a Saturday and, and watch these kids play games and they train six days a week. And I'm thinking in my head, well, it's no surprise that they're becoming so good because the level of the average player is so much higher. So that pushes the best players and they're getting more touches on the ball. So that's that's something that uh, it's not an overnight change, but yeah. Do you think do you think part of the problem here in Australia is that we do live in a very privileged and good country and that if you don't make it as a professional footballer, it's fine because we still live a good life. Whereas in some of these countries, you know, let's say like a Brazil. Now, a lot of these players that do make it big, they speak all the time about, you know, I wanted to make it to help my family. I wanted to do it to help my family. I wanted to do this. Now, I, I didn't have any incentive, but I, from the second that I was not born, but knew what football was and that I loved it so much, that was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be a footballer. And, mm. you know, there's probably thousands of kids out there that say that. For me, I was lucky enough that, that it actually came to fruition. But for me, it feels like in our country, in Australia, that we do live a very good life, you know, that, that we've got a lot here in this country and it is it's a beautiful place to live it's a beautiful country and these other countries that maybe don't have as much as us they want it so much more than us do you do you agree yeah oh yeah firsthand from seeing it in japan these kids uh, you, you you don't know what you don't know and you get you know if you get brought up in australia you just assume probably everywhere else is like australia so you know, you take it for granted. Like I've come back now these last two weeks and Australia is a holiday. It's a full-time holiday here where, you know, especially in summer, the weather's getting good. You can go down to the beaches. Beaches are free. You know, the roads, it's all safe. You go to you know, the end of your street or somewhere walking distance, there's an amazing park to go and play at. Like, why, why are kids thinking I need to do this to, you know, help my family or I need to do this because it's either I join a gang or... I become a footballer or in Japan, you either work like a, 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 an average job getting paid average money and overworked, or I just do the same work rate, but I become a footballer and I'm a superstar. Like it's chalk and cheese. We're in Australia. I, I genuinely, I'm actually a bit fearful for like, not just football, but for I think all sports, like, cause sport doesn't matter. You can have the best facilities. You can have the best of everything, but sports still comes down to how much, does someone want it and how many hours have they put in over their, their years and that dedication that, to their craft and Australia is just going to get lower and lower we'll still get the odd kid that comes through I think but you know like it's it's such a different environment in Brazil in Japan because these kids like one of the guys I think I've said it before that's playing in NEC Nijmegen now which is I've got my top for, for NEC Nijmegen just there I played my, my three games for them I think it was so that's uh, not dirty at all um He's, he's just signed for NEC, but before he came to Fagiano when he was 18, he'd never played on grass. Like, he'd never trained on grass properly. He was training on dirt fields, like proper dirt fields. But he doesn't, it's not like it's a complaint. It's like, oh, we're just on dirt fields today. And in Australia, yeah. we can't do sessions because it's raining. So, like, this whole, like you touched on, it's, it's a lot more to it. We can still be better, and of course we can because we do have these facilities and we do have good coaches. I think we've got better coaches than what people realize as well. But comes down to the desire and, and how do kids learn this desire now it's from parents that's you know? yeah yeah that's they, more they so what i'm saying i'm yeah. not trying to i'm not i'm not trying to like group you know uh, australia as you know that, that you know we live in paradise and every single person has a perfect life here so they don't want it it's not that it's saying 
more so where do they get this desire from where do they learn about this because some kids will be different to others like i was from the moment i kicked a soccer ball i was super competitive i had to win everything now i don't know why i just had that i don't know if it was my upbringing from having older siblings and they were always beating me at stuff who knows what it was but there will be kids that have certain desires but there yeah. also will be kids that have amazing talent but maybe don't have that desire and they don't have the same desire as someone who maybe hasn't had it as easy and wants to make it more than anything because i guarantee you more often than not that the kid with less talent that wants to work hard will make it before the one with talent that wants to do nothing and sit on his ass yeah a hundred percent and you know what we can actually do um we'll see how long the podcast i guess goes for how many years but we'll do a test trial with my kid once it comes out every we'll, we'll get a training once once a day from the age of two and we'll see how good we can left get foot, him right foot, and, left foot right and, foot. <laughs> and we'll just we'll just this use it as gonna a be a robot <laughs> <laughs> carla will be thinking like this is this is not okay but i'll be saying listen football friends podcast we want to do this experiment so australian football will thank us in years to come but no it's uh it's something that we'll keep talking on and i'm sure we'll get lots of questions from this and and different people asking things. We can go into more depth of, you know, once we did get into the state teams, the AIS, because that's, I, I don't include that as the your, your real youth junior development. I think, you know, what you said, five to about 14, 15. And then once you get to 15, I think it changes, you know, you're not obviously an experienced player all of a sudden, and you're not in the adult football, but you're kind of at that next stage. And, and we'll talk about that next time. But just let's, let's just quickly, I'll before, go on. just quickly before we cut it off, like we'd love to hear from you guys to, to, see what your kind of ideal um youth setup would look like in this country because you know we find it super interesting and this is these are just our thoughts like personally for me as you said the nsd is going to be perfect because those teams like south melbourne they've already got they've already got the template there it's already what they're, they're doing so that's perfect and how good for a four or five year old kid to rock up to south melbourne training and go right, i want to be there one day and then you go and watch them on the weekend that that is like building culture and building yeah. something something to strive for and i think the a-league clubs like we sort of said if they can get that have it all the way down and then they're getting coached a certain way and see that funnel the whole way through that is the ideal setup with good coaching and better coaching and learning yeah. about you know what it means to play for adelaide united or western united or melbourne victory or whatever team you are at but that's probably my or our kind of ideal kind of pathway for football in this country and yeah, I suppose we'd love to hear to hear your thoughts on that as well. And it needs to be full year round. For me, it needs to be like maybe not 52 weeks of the year. And you can play other sports if you want to, but we have to play more games. Like we play 20 games in, you know, when you're a young player a year, whatever it is. But, you know, in Japan, they're playing probably like 70, 80 games. They're playing a couple of games a week. So again, we'll, we'll talk more about it in another episode, but we'll We'll leave it there and get into our story of the week or stories of the week from when we were young players coming into the system, thinking we knew what we were doing, but we really had no idea. This is the Inner Game Story of the Week. This segment is brought to you by the Inner Game Journals, started by none other than our co-host, Stefan Moore. The athlete performance journals were created to help athletes of all abilities become more self-aware through goal setting and reflection. On or off the field, the mental side of the game is so crucial to help you feel and perform at your best. Head over to www.theinnergamejournals.com and use code FOOTBALLFRIENDS to get 15% of all products. If you're a club, school, or academy you're in luck stefan also runs workshops and he's just released the app version which will allow you to give direct feedback to players download the app for free today search the inner game on the app store
Do you want to take it away? This is kind of, well, I suppose it's both of our stories, but at the end of the day, we've spoken and we're staying on the theme of, of kind of youth development. And this was youth development for us because it was our first time in a professional environment. And we thought we were professional at the time. We both thought we were quite professional and we did the right things compared to maybe other people that were our age. And we really had fucking no idea, did we, Steph? Yeah, I I think we did a lot right, but then just small things. And, you know, sometimes what, you know, when you're a young player, you know, how you're perceived, you know, first impressions are, are everything, to be honest. And I guess that goes on to our first little one. When we rock up to Melbourne Heart, when we were away at the AIS, we both, you know, got our nipples pierced. We got hammered by the older boys then, but we thought, we don't care about these guys. But when we rocked up to Melbourne Heart and we're like in the ice bath, and I was already a little bit like, yeah, self-conscious about it. Like, oh, I don't really want them to see. But it was like, well, we get, we're showing naked now. Like, you're, you're in a group. What are you going to do? Just put your hands over your nipples. Like, so as soon as they've seen that, they've hammered us. And then we, we were both constantly with each other as well. So we're getting hammered for that as well. Yeah, we got, I think we, man, we got hammered for everything. Jeans too tight. Nah, <laughs> nipples pierced, nah, haircuts, nah, eyebrows done, nah. It was everything, man. It was a, it was a tough school back then, back in those days. And we, we spoke about that with Zach as well. You know, that it has changed a lot. Football has changed and the way maybe it is. Um, that last generation, it was a tough school, especially when you first came in. And yeah, I think we had a, one day we just, I think had a light bulb moment and we were like, man, what are we fucking doing with these nipple piercings? And yeah. I remember we just both were just like, yeah, we'll take him out. And it was honestly the worst pain I'd ever been in to get it done. Like that five, 10 seconds, however long it was for them to get that, it was excruciating. And then a year later or whatever it was, we just take it out and it's like, well, yeah, literally what were we thinking? We still, you know, we still did our, hairs de- our hair decent and we still had like, I think we had better fashion than half the players in the team. The worst thing was actually, you know, some of the older players, they were dressing up wearing like jeans and sneakers and jeans and sneakers are kind of in now, but cool sneakers. But back then they're wearing like proper runners with, with yeah. jeans and we're getting just hammered say. by these guys. Yeah. Just say, just call, just call Hoffy out if you're going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it wasn't actually Hoffy. I was thinking of Dill McAllister and what a guy he is. He was like a father Great figure guy. to us, to be honest. Um, yeah. No, honestly, but we're getting we, we had a we're good group. Time. Yeah, we, we did. We actually, they looked after us. Look, it's your first time in a professional environment. We had no idea what was going on. 90% of that team were, were top blokes and they looked after us. Yes, they took the piss out of us. Yes, they called us pretty boys. We were a little bit kind of out there for younger kids, but they they really did try and look after us. And um, I think they were just looking out for us. And I think they did kind of see something in the two of us that, that they liked. Um, and a few of us and kind of did take us under their wing like like Hoffy and, and Aziz Bayich. Yeah. No, it was it was a really good and you know what? Back then we were we were seventeen. I think I was sixteen turning seventeen. You were seventeen. So we were so young. But they weren't actually that old either. But we thought they were like these real old guys. Like Aziz was maybe twenty one, twenty two, Hoffy was maybe yeah. twenty three, twenty four. But for us we were like these guys are so old. These and then older you got boys, like yeah. you know Fred, who was 35, or Matt Thompson, or Butzer, Clint Bolton, and you're just like, how are we, they're double our age, more than double our age almost, but you go into this environment, and you know, they're the nicest guys off the field to you and help you, but on the field, it was completely different, but we we won't go into that, but 
the one thing that I noticed, I reckon, being a young player and what we did well um, was when they asked us to come places, like, we were like, yeah, we'll go. We didn't even drink coffee back then. We hated, we never tasted coffee before. We were going because they were like, oh, do you want to come to this cafe? And we had no idea about a cafe culture or whatever. Like, we were in Canberra. We were going to McDonald's or uh, <laughs> Slurpees from 7-Eleven. You know, like, we're not going to, to a cafe and spending our money. I look back at those years, man. We were living in Melbourne, like, and I live in Melbourne now, and I'm like, these unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable coffee. Man, we were going to, like, the local place, like, the cheap, like, cheap $10 fucking chicken schnitzel roll around the corner from our house. Still when we could have been good, going though. to all of those. Yeah, they, they were good, but we just had no idea. And they, I remember, yeah. like, they, they were like, come. And me and you just looking at each other, like, what are we going to order here? I'm not ordering, like, a coffee. And I remember they were like, we started on hot chocolate. Then now, after a couple reckon, of months, they were like, I don't reckon, I don't reckon they let us get the hot chocolate. I reckon, I, I remember, maybe we did at the start. They said, listen, if you're going to sit with us, you're not going to fucking be embarrassing us and drinking a hot chocolate. And I was like, and we were just like, whoa, what, what do you want us to do? Can we get a milkshake or something then? And it was like, all right. And they, were, pay, they were paying for us. They, they always yeah, paid for so, us. They never let us shout. So what what are you going to do? Like as a young player, like again, like they were only joking, but when you're a young player, you actually thought they were kind of being serious. So you're like, oh, all right, like I'll get the mocha then. And we're probably putting three sugars in our mocha as well. And it's like half coffee, Mason's half hot so chocolate. It, it was not bad, but I wasn't enjoying it. I didn't it. like and now it. now if you had a mocha... Yeah. You were like, oh, this is disgusting. And then I remember after the mocha, yeah, like you were saying, we went on to the lattes and it was like maybe four sugars, four sugars in this latte. Yes. And you're, you're still like, oh, this isn't great, but I'll, I'll do it. Um, and then obviously, you know, you, you take it down from four to three to two to one. And now it's like, yeah, you, you drink whatever. But it was it was something I think young players, if they go into that environment, it's, it's just that respect. It, it doesn't mean that when you're young, you don't have respect everybody's respected i think now even more so but you know these older players actually can determine a lot about your future because if they like you as a person and they go that extra mile to help you out that that will help you feel more comfortable in the change rooms so when you go onto the field you can express yourself so i think that's a, a really really big thing for young players to try and do you don't need to go out and drink with them and you know uh, party or whatever but just if they ask you for going for coffee or a lunch you know actually try and um yeah, try and, I guess, be as close to them as you can because they're experienced. They they know what it's like. They've been in our position, so that they're, they're trying to they're trying to help you out. And um, one last story that we'll go into was we were away with um, the under-20s. We were in Spain at the time. We played, um, I think you had a, a pretty good tournament, didn't you? Uh, that was the worst games I've ever played in my whole life. I could not even, <laughs> I could not hit a barn door, man. I couldn't hit water if I fell uh, off a boat. That tournament. I was, was just thinking, get me was, off yeah. the pitch. And I was, I was flying, you know, here I was playing midfield, had my, my hair tied up. You know, everyone back then, the younger players had that top knot, just grew it to that length on fire. Ocon didn't say anything about it. We we're buzzing. You know, we're in Spain, what were we, maybe 18 years old, maybe 17. I don't even remember, to be honest, you know, played yeah, against very, Mexico. Yeah. Um, and then we come back and we knew when we came back, we we're going to Lismore. So from Spain, I don't know where we were in Spain, maybe Valencia we were, I reckon it was, and yeah. we had to get to Lismore. So obviously it's not an easy thing. Everybody went their separate ways, but when we landed in Sydney, we needed to get then, um, 
the flight from Sydney on the little propeller plane to Lismore and then figure out to get a taxi because the team wasn't even there yet or they were doing something. So it was a disaster. And we thought, you know what? If we're going to play in this game when we get back, we want to be we want to be fit. We want to be fresh. We want to impress. So we like sent a message um, to... I can't remember, was it the physios or someone or, or maybe Tom Redden? Physios or, yeah, s Someone just just like asking like oh like are we going to be involved in the games thinking we were doing the right thing and they didn't really reply i don't even think they replied to it we were like all right so we didn't get the extra massage when we should have just got the extra massage anyway um we ended up we get back figure out how to get up like you know you, it's not easy when you're that young to like no, this international this travel, was like and a, then this was like the longest trip ever though this was like 35 yeah. hours or something between waiting like when we landed in um sydney because it's obviously valencia to to wherever dubai yeah dubai to sydney sydney we had to wait for ages because how many flights go to bloody lismore get this little plane surprised we even made it there landed we're (laughs) at the airport there's like five people working at this airport (laughs) get outside it's like a country town and we're like have they like organized us a car or something yeah it was actually amateur wasn't it now you think about it like they didn't even tell us what to do. We were just like, and it's not like Melbourne or Sydney Airport where there's taxis there. We were just like, I think we probably had to order one or there was probably some random yeah. guy that said, yeah, I'll take you, I'll take you. And he charged us, who knows? But we get to the we, we get to the hotel where like, all right, we've got four, I think it was like four or five hours, you know, until they came back and, and we had dinner. So they sent us the schedule. We, we, we were in the same room. We fall asleep and we... We must have forgot to put an alarm on. That's how tight. No, we did. Like, we did. Well, no, we, we did. did the alarm on. We did. Yeah. I remember like dinner was at like 6 p.m. And, and we set an alarm. I remember we set like two or three alarm. And we were and like tired, thinking. Tired. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And we were just <laughs> thinking, like, we were fucked by this stage. We were that tired, that jet lagged. We were like, all right, you know what? And we were trying to fight it off to not sleep. And then after a while, yeah. we were like, no, nah, you know what? We'll just sleep for a little bit. We, it won't be that bad. We'll get up for dinner. And miss dinner. No one came and knocked on our room, I don't think, though. So we must have, they must have realized, obviously, oh, that they're, they're, they're asleep or whatever. Then we go up, we're in Lismore. We've never been to Lismore before. We go for a walk because it's 10 o'clock at night now. We're like, oh, we're starving. I think the only place open was Domino's. Smash a pizza because what else are we going to eat? It's not like they, they didn't say like, oh, here's some leftover food for you. Like they weren't caring about us. They're probably just ready to roast us for sending that message. Then we get down there the next day. I reckon it was for breakfast and... Remember the assistant coach came up. We won't say the coaches, but the, the assistant coach came up and, and kind of just said, like, listen, like, why why did you send that message? And we were just like, oh, like, you know, it's so, like, like sweet, like, little, like, you know, boys. Like, oh, well, we're just trying to do the right thing, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, coach, the boss is really angry because he thinks you wanted to go back to Adelaide and not even come here at all. And we were just, like, shitting our pants and thinking, like, fucking hell, this is backfired. Like... What a disaster. Like how, how, how is that message turned into this? So then we get on the bus to go for training, whatever else. I've got my top knot in thinking like, this is the first time I was like wearing my hair like this. Harry Kuehl was in the team and he was like, oh, I rate that fucking decent. And I was like, oh, that's big. H, H rates it. So I'm flying. Get off the bus out there, you know, for the team warm up. And the boss just looks and says, what is that? And I was just like, what do you mean? And he's like, in your hair. And I was like, uh. and I had never <laughs> felt so small in my life where I was like, 
Fucking hell. And I just like remember like going to my hair as slow as it could, just kind just of putting slowly my hand pulling it. it out. Like taking it out and just throwing away the headband and thinking, fuck, I might as well just go back to Adelaide because my career here is done. Trained the session. And I don't even know what I did that session, to be honest. I was so oh, man. rattled and just thinking like, I'm I'm a good kid. I didn't even, I, I didn't, I'm not trying to be like a bad person. I didn't think it was that bad, but. Again, times have changed now, and coaches would the actually game, never yeah. say anything about that. No, nah, but back then it was it was like I think he actually said like, yeah, if you're Ibrahimovic, then you can do it. And I was thinking, yeah, uh, uh, well, Harry, honestly, Harry said he I agree. <laughs> I I actually agree. I actually agree. Like, not not maybe to that extent, but I do agree. Like when you're a young boy coming in, just just do the the stock standard. Don't you know? You don't want to stick out. You want to stick out on the yeah. pitch. You want to be a point of difference on the pitch, but off the pitch, just fly under the radar. And you know what? If there's one lesson that we could take away from that whole story, it's that we should have never even sent that text message because you know what? We're professional footballers and the minimum requirement as a professional footballer is to get your body prepared in the best possible way you can to be available whenever you're needed. So there was no reason for us to send a text message saying, hey, should we... uh, should we be prepared to uh, train and play in this game when we get back? No, you just prepare. And if you don't play, you yeah. don't play. That's out of your control. But what's in your control is how you prepare. And we were just young lads and, and we didn't, you know, we weren't trying to do the wrong thing. You weren't trying to be a hero with that haircut, but you got roasted And a few of the players afterwards, even all the players were like stunned, like looking like, wow, as if you just said that. And a few of them asked was like, oh, fuck, I felt so sorry for you. Like, can't believe you said that. And I was thinking, yeah, well, fucking, you can't believe it, but it doesn't make a difference for you, does it? I'm the one that's fucking just copped it. And I think we got back to Melbourne and I just went straight to the barber. Give me a trim. I need a short. I need a short. I don't want it to go on my eyes. (laughs) And... Yeah, it, it's funny how, you know, times have changed. And I agree with you. But at the same time, you know, if you've got personality, you've got personality. But there's a difference between being a respectful kid and coming in and thinking you're, you know, you own the yeah. place and you're 16. No, that's so, true. You know yeah, what? I agree. If, if you want to have if you want to have tattoos, you want to dress, you want to have a nice car, like who am I to judge? I, I, I think we're both still a little bit old school. We're probably that last generation where I automatically, my, my brain tells me, who does this kid think he is? But then I always like, you know yeah. what? Let him go. If he's a nice kid, yeah. why, why does that? Why should I judge him on that? So, it's um, the most important harsh. thing is producing on the pitch. And at the end of the day, yeah. I couldn't care if if you want to live your life the way you want to live your life. Even if I don't hundred percent agree with it, if you're doing your job, and that's what that's what the main thing is. If you're a footballer to do your job, then you know what we shouldn't really say anything. I, I do sort of agree with that as well. Yeah. So um, that's a, a good a good learning for young kids out there and first impressions you know the one thing i loved about football that it probably has taught me as well is like you know you your first impression counts and i noticed straight away and pk was really big on this as well and all the other coaches but like you know you you shake your can, hand uh, coach's hand in the morning you go and you say hi to all the other players you shake their hand if you didn't shake pk's hand or say good morning he'd come and like and patty kisnorba we're talking about like he'd come and probably give you a jab like and <laughs> It was a bit stupid at the time, but it's a big thing. You know, when I get a young kid and he shakes my hand, I'm like, oh, like he's got a bit of respect. Like it's, it's a nice yeah, thing respect. to do. So, um, I think, you know, if you've gone into a change room, go around, introduce yourself, shake everyone's hand, do it every morning, say see you to everyone and don't have a top knot and you'll be fine. Exactly right. No, I agree. But we'll Let's, wrap it up um, there. Leave it there.
I'll uh, I'll give it a crack. We've got um, where you can find us on Instagram at Football Friends Pod on TikTok is Ben and Steph Pod, which is the same as X, and on YouTube it's Football Friends with Ben and Steph. So I hope I've got them all right, or did I get them wrong, Ben? You have got them right, but if you guys are listening on Spotify, Apple, head over to YouTube because Steph's got his absolute shirt wall behind him today, which talk us through. The shirts. I think I can recognize most of them. You got Adelaide United up there, Brisbane Raw, Melbourne Heart, NEC, a few Aussie ones in there. What's the blue that's one? That's the the blue ones. That's the um the NEC away kit. Oh, so right. NEC Nijmegen no, away kit. No, no Okuyama. I actually the other hook that was up there, like there's an empty space, just fell off. So no good. Couldn't fit one more. All right. But I've got I've got what the Aussie the, one when I was in. In the Socceroos, and then over there we've got the um, the under seventeen World Cup one when you were uh, sitting back in Canberra doing a whole lot of nothing, <laughs> twiddling my thumbs, and the um, A <laughs> League A League Champions medal there as well. Yeah, made of gold, mm. pure gold. So this I, is is quite heavy. I got, so I got two of them, two of them. But do you get one for sitting on the bench the whole season at Melbourne City? Who <laughs> got one, mate? <laughs> Yeah. Let's do it. You yeah. type everyone my name in. Everyone plays a two times A League champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the biggest cliche. It doesn't matter if you played one minute, every minute, or no minutes. Let's be serious. If you're not actually nah, on the bullshit. field, don't you don't have the same feeling. The Western United one means a lot more than the Melbourne City one. Come on. On a personal note, but of course, I still feel like I was a part of the team. I still feel like I helped the team in another way. Maybe I didn't help on the pitch because I never got there, but. <laughs> I still got there. Like, what are we talking about? I played games. Wasn't if I sat in the stands all year. But of course, the Western United one is yeah is meaningful to me because you know I left Melbourne City because I couldn't play there, and then we went and beat them in the final. So of course, yeah, can't get any better better revenge than that. But it's more. I think it's like as a player, you know, you feel you do feel good, and and you know, probably when you retire, you'll feel a lot better about it. But at the time, you know, if you're not playing on the field, yeah, you know what, like. It just doesn't have the same feeling, I reckon. I don't know. That's just me personally. Like, I, I feel like, you know, you didn't contribute. You didn't actually do as much. And I know you still need everyone. But, you know, when you're a starting player and you've contributed a lot, um, it does mean a lot more. So, anyway, I'll bring out some different jerseys. I've got other ones that are floating about in the place. And I'll, I'll change them up for next week. So, I'll, I'll, I'll be here for the next four or so episodes. Yeah. And just um, before we let you guys go, we've actually got a little giveaway that we're going to be doing in the next probably episode more more than likely next episode or, or maybe in the coming episode but it's got something to do with with the a-leagues we've kind of teamed up with the um with the apl and the guys at the a-leagues and they've offered us something pretty cool so um i would advise anyone who's listening to this podcast today to definitely follow the socials that steph read out um stay up to date because there's going to be a really really cool giveaway coming in the next week or so so Stay up to date, give us a follow, and we'll see you guys next week. Go the Reds. Oh, Fred. Fuck you lot, where's the beer? Ever wanted to become a football agent? The John Viola Academy is an elite training and education program designed by world-class football agents to create world-class football agents. With online courses, personal mentoring and much more, the John Viola Academy provides you with every opportunity needed to achieve your dream career in the beautiful game 
as a football agent. Head to jvacademy.net forward slash football friends or click the link in our show notes to book a demo call with the team and start your journey today.